Well, welcome to our first televised panel conference. <laughs> um, our speaker today is Dr. Eugene Ryan from the University of Bath. Um, Gene is from originally from some place in the west of Cork. Indeed. And to uh, UCC Cork, then uh, across the water to England, went to Cambridge, and then finally ended up in Bath, where you've been. Longer than I care to admit. I first yeah. met Gene when I was a graduate student in Berkeley and he came to visit my advisor. And today he's going to talk to us about the state stability of differential inclusions with application to hysterical or sorry, <laughs> <Mr. Redden>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thank you, Martin. Thank you. And uh, thanks for the invitation. It's a, it's a pleasure to be here. I have ne never been to Maynooth before. I'm very impressed by the setup here, I must say. <laughs> um, so, the title of my talk, got one or two phrases in there, input to state stability, so I'll say a few words about that. Differential inclusions, how they enter into the picture, and what I mean by hysteretic feedback systems. And I should say, first of all, that this is joint work with um, colleagues of mine. Bayou uh, Jeoward Hanna, who's currently in Groningen and Hartmut Logeman, a colleague from Bath. So, just to give an indication of the sort of system that I, I might be interested in, we've got one or two simple-minded prototypes here. Uh, think of a, a mechanical system, but with a hysteretic effect, a hysteretic restoring force sitting in here, some disturbance D and some control input, input U. And alternatively, we might have, a, again, a um, mechanical system, but now with um, hysteretic actuation. And again, some disturbance, D. And the underlying structure of these two mechanical systems, if we apply linear feedback in each case, both of them essentially take the form of a feedback interconnection of this nature, where I have a linear system in the forward path and a hysteresis operator in the, in the feedback path. So this is the, 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 the structure that I'm uh, going to look at. Uh, a linear system in the forward path and a hysteresis operator in the reverse path and some um, input or disturbance term D. And the, the, the approach to analyzing this feedback interconnection is basically uh, an amalgam of two ideas, ideas from input to state stability and absolute stability um, concepts. So I'll just first of all give a, a, a brief uh, account of what I mean by these two, these two uh, streams. So input to state stability. Um, let's take a finite dimensional prototype. Suppose I have a linear uh, system, a linear state-space system, where A is a Hurwitz matrix. So if we, have, if we have asymptotic stability of the uncontrolled system, then we have a, a lot of nice properties. So these are all ele elementary observations. Um, when I have asymptotic stability of A, I immediately get properties like bounded input, bounded state. If, if, if U is a bounded input, then the state is bounded. Um, more generally, if U is an LP input, then the state is an LP. And we also have the convergent input convergent state property, namely if the input U goes to zero, then the state also goes to zero. Now, 
what I want to look at is, the, is, is to, to what extent, if at all, do these nice properties hold when I, when I move from linear systems to nonlinear systems under the assumption that, again, with zero input, the nonlinear system is globally asymptotically stable. And some simple-minded examples will tell you immediately that the, the, the whole complexion of the, of the problem changes drastically when you move from linear to nonlinear. So even, even, even in very simple systems, the nice properties that we had before, bounded input, bounded output, convergent input, convergent state, and so on, um, may fail to hold. And here's, a, here's one very simple example uh, of a, a, a nonlinear non system with a quadratic nonlinearity. Uh, if u is equal to zero, this is evidently globally asymptotically stable, but with initial data one and an exponentially decaying input u, this system has uh, an exponentially growing um, solution, x. And, of course, in, non, in the nonlinear setting, things can fail in a more, more catastrophic way. Here's another example of a nonlinear system, which, again, with u equal to zero, is globally asymptotically stable. But if I put in um, an input u, which is zero for most of the time, but takes the value two on the interval zero, one, then I get a solution that blows up in finite time. So global asymptotic stability of the zero input system doesn't necessarily inform anything about the, about the behavior of, of, of the, the system under non-zero inputs. Now, input-to-state stability, in a sense, uh, tries to capture the, 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 the essential pr property that the nonlinear system should have in order that the nice properties do um, occur. So, here's the the standard definition of input to state stability. Um, if we have an estimate of this form, the nonlinear system is said to be input to state stable. Here, x is a solution of my nonlinear system. Um, B1 is a, a function that is uh, increasing in its first argument and decreasing to zero in its second argument. B2 is a function that's increasing strictly and unbounded. So if I have an estimate of this nature, we say that the system is input-to-state stable, and a lot of the nice properties immediately um, ensue from this. For example, if I, put zero, if I put the input equal to zero, this term vanishes, and then this inequality is simply a characterization of global asymptotic stability of the system with zero input. The bounded input, bounded state property follows immediately, um, from the presence of this term here, and um, you can also, from this estimate, show that the system has the convergent input convergent state property. So if, if we can ensure an estimate of this nature, then we do indeed have the nice properties. So this is just to remind you what I've mentioned earlier. Um, the function KL is just increasing in its first argument, decreasing to zero in its second argument, and beta 2 is an unbounded function, continuous strictly increasing, zero at zero. <coughs> so the point to make here is that the ISS inequality ensures bounded input bounded state property, it ensures the convergent input convergent state property, and it also ensures that the, that the uh, zero input system is globally asymptotically stable. So we're going to make use of some of these ideas in, 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 what, in what follows.
Um, there's a nice characterization of input to state stability in terms of so-called input to state Lyapunov functions. So an input to state Lyapunov function is just a, uh, a positive definite C1 function, which is proper in the sense that its sublevel sets are compact, and we have an estimate of this nature. And with such Lyapunov functions, we have a nice characterization of input to state stability. The system is input to state stability if and only if it admits a smooth ISS Lyapunov function. So we'll make use of some of these ideas also in, in, uh, in due course. Now this, the other theme in the analysis is, is absolute stability. So let me mention briefly um, what I mean by this. Um, absolute stability classically involved looking at feedback interconnections of this nature. You have a linear system, an observed linear system up here and a nonlinearity in the feedback path. So we're looking at nonlinear systems of, of this form. Um, And just uh, to focus in on, on the sort of nonlinearities that we, that we allow in, in this interconnection, um, we look at so-called sector-bounded nonlinearities, which intuitively have this sort of idea. Don't need to define it any more than that. So you have a nonlinearity whose characteristic is, is sector-bounded in the sense that it lies between it lies in this shaded envelope. Typical results in, in classical um, absolute stability theory would be things like we have an assumption on, of stability on the, 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 the linear bit, we have a sector bounded assumption on the nonlinearity, and we have some sort of positive real condition that I don't want to dwell on at the moment. But you have, you have uh, basically these three conditions you have a stability of the linear system, sector bound on the nonlinearity. Uh, and a positive real condition which involves the, the linear system through its transfer function G and also involves some of the sector data through the, through the, the, the parameter K. Uh, and if you have this positive real condition holding, then you can conclude that zero is a globally asymptotically stable equilibrium of the feedback interconnection. So this is a typical sort of absolute stability type result from, from classical theory. Um, and again, we'll make use of some of these ideas, but in a slightly more general uh, setting. So again, the essence, the essence of, of absolute stability is a sort of a trade-off between the stability properties of the linear system and the, 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 the sector data on the, on the nonlinearity. If, the, if they interact in the, in the appropriate way, then we can conclude that the feedback interconnection is um, asymptotically stable. Right, now what I want to look at is, is input to state stability, but not in the context of differential equations, but in the context of differential inclusions. And why would I want to do that? So this is the structure that I want to, to investigate. I want to look at in absolute stability properties and input to state stability properties and various boundedness properties of solutions of a, uh, a feedback 
arrangement of this nature, where again I have just a linear system in the feedback path, but now I have a set-valued object in the sorry, a linear system in the forward path and a, and a set-valued object in the in the in the feedback path. And what we want is an analytical framework that's sufficiently general to encompass. I want the, the, this structure to enable me to replace this here by, say, a causal operator. And, and what I have in mind here is, is, is the prototype that I started out with, where you had a, um, a hysteresis operator in the feedback. So we want, we want a structure of sufficient generality to encompass uh, more specific examples with hysteresis. So, just to make life relatively straightforward, everything that I've described has a, um, uh, a multi-input, multi-output um, counterpart, but I'm going to restrict for purposes of presentation, I'm going to restrict to the single input, single output case. And um, to try and provide some motivation for the, the feedback structure that I want to look at, I take a causal operator F, And now let's look at, at, at a system of this nature. So this is, this is essentially a structure similar to the, the structure in the classical absolute stability literature, except now we have a, a, a causal operator sitting here rather than a static nonlinearity. So this, this here now is, is, is a nonlinear functional differential equation. Um, the other point to note is that I now have an input um, D. Um, sitting in there as well. <clears throat> now if we make the assumption that F can be embedded in, in a set-valued map phi in, the, in this sense, take every function in the domain of F, then this um, holds. So here I have a set-valued map phi um, and I refer to this as, as, as embedding the causal operator in the set-valued map uh, phi. <clears throat> And if the input D belongs to some set-valued map, capital D, then any solution of one, the feedback interconnection that I started with, with a linear system in the forward path and a set-valued map in the feedback path, uh, any solution of my functional differential equation is a fortiori a solution of the original feedback interconnection. So if I can establish stability properties of the feedback interconnection with the set-valued map in the feedback path, then those stability properties would be inherited by functional differential equations of this type as long as F can be embedded in this sense in the, in the map phi. So here's a, 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 an example of what, what, I, what I mean. If you, if you take um, the, the, the simple uh, play operator, um, backlash, um, you th think, think of it as being this sort of mechanical thing where you hit two limits. Um, so the characteristic diagram looks something like this. Well, how do we embed this in a set-valued map? Well, in this very simple case, you just take the map phi of this nature. So given, given a, a value of the argument, it just returns the appropriate interval. And the characteristic corresponding to the, the play operator sits in here. So if I can establish stability properties of my feedback interconnection with this in the feedback path, then those properties of the solutions will be inherited by something with a 
a backlash phenomenon of this, of this nature. <coughs> uh, right. Okay, so now I have just to, to impose some regularity on the nature of the, the, of the maps phi that we, that we allow. So I'm going to assume that for every value of the argument, phi is a convex compact set and its dependence on y I'm going to assume to be upper semi-continuous. Um, B is just, this is just my notation for locally essentially bounded maps. So now the original feedback system, which is the, 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 the feedback interconnection that I want to look at, this one now corresponds to an initial value problem of this type, a differential uh, inclusion um, with some initial data and some input, which can be a set-valued object, uh, but essentially locally essentially bounded. And I assume that this phi has sufficient regularity. I'm not going to dwell on, on, on technicalities. This, this, this is just imposing some regularity on the nature of the map, the map phi. So one of the first issues is, does, does this interconnection make sense? Equivalently, does this initial value problem have a solution? Well, the answer to that is, is yes. But first of all, what do I mean by a solution? Well, by a solution of my, my inclusion, I simply mean an absolutely continuous function x on some interval 0 omega, which satisfies the initial data and such that the differential inclusion is satisfied for almost all uh, t in the interval. A solution is maximal if it has no proper right extension, that is also a solution. And a solution is global if it exists on the positive half line. And there is an existence theory that makes sense of our model. Uh, and here's the dilemma. If I impose the regularity on phi that it belongs to the set U, so again this is just upper semi-continuous maps with convex and compact values, and if I have uh, local essential boundedness of the input, then the initial value problem has a solution for, for all initial data. Every solution can be extended maximally, can be extended to a global solution, and if x is bounded, sorry, let me say that again. The initial value problem has a solution. Every solution can be extended to a maximal solution. And if the maximal solution is bounded, then it, it exists globally. So we have, we have um, an existence theory that supports the, 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 the feedback structures that we want to, we want to consider. <coughs> right. So there is our feedback interconnection again. I should again sort of point out one, one distinguishing feature from what the, this, this structure that we're looking at as opposed to the, um, the classical structures in absolute stability theory. Not only is the, pre the presence of, the, of the, the fairly general nonlinearity sitting in the feedback path, but we're also taking into account inputs into the system. So the transfer function of the, the triple ABC we're going to denote by G in the usual way. And 
there's a, a bunch of four hypotheses that will be, that will be uh, invoked in various scenarios. So I'll just put them up. I won't dwell on, on, on the details, but just simply mention that the, the hypothesis that I'm going to mention shortly, again, do what's done in the classical absolute stability literature. They, it, it, they sort of, it, it's an interplay on conditions on, 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 on stability of the linear system and uh, some sort of data that we have on the, on the non-linearities. And when we, make the, when we make the appropriate specialization, we can recover the classical results in absolute stability theory. So I'll just put them up quickly, and then I'll show um, what they correspond to sort of graphically. Um, so again, I'm not, I won't dwell on details here, but this, this top, this is, a, this is a condition on the nature of the, of the nonlinearity. These are um, stability type conditions and positive realness conditions on, on objects associated with the linear system. So these are, these are our, our assumptions on the linear system and this is an assumption on the nonlinearity. This is a different hypothesis but again involves an assumption on the, on the nonlinearity and a positive real assumption related to the linear system, likewise down here and here. But the easiest way of thinking of these is in terms of the, of the, the nonlinearity, and let me show in pictures what I mean. The, the first hypothesis relates to the situation where the, the set-valued map that I'm looking at in the feedback path is sector-bounded in a sort of classical sense. We have, we have um, two linear envelopes of, 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 of this shaded set and the, the, the graph of the set-valued map is required to sit in here. So that will correspond to the first hypothesis. The second hypothesis is <coughs> sort of similar except that the, the, the gradient of, the, of this bit here is allowed to be infinite. So that's this, the, the, the sort of scenario in which hypothesis H2 holds. The third hypothesis is a situation where I have a, a linear bound here, but the lower bound is allowed to be nonlinear. And the fourth hypothesis relates again to, to this situation, except where the, where the gradient of, of this um, part of the envelope is allowed to be infinite. So in terms of trying to keep a, a picture of, of what's going on in the, in the case of, of the four hypotheses, it might be easy to think of them in terms of these, of these pictures here. And just one or two comments, I mean this, this, in hypothesis H1 we have these, these nice linear upper and lower uh, bounds for the, for the envelope and the system in the, in the forward path is also linear. So under hypothesis H1 we have a lot of linearity and it's not surprising that the results that I will describe have a sort of a linear flavor to them. The same applies in, in, in no, the same, the, well, we, we have more non-linearity in these situations and the, the nature of the results is, is slightly different. So just to remind you again about input to state stability. So the idea is that it's a, it's a concept that captures some desirable properties for a system um, of this form. 
typical things being bounded input, bounded state. Input eventually small, implying state eventually small, or indeed input going to zero, implying state goes, goes to zero. So again, this is the same definition as we had before. Um, and by virtue of this simple chain of inequalities here, an equivalent definition, rather than taking the sum of, the, of beta 1 and beta 2, I can impose an estimate where I take the max of beta 1 and beta 2. The beta 1 and beta 2 in here don't necessarily coincide with the beta 1 and beta 2 there. But nevertheless, th so, so this, is, this is an equivalent characterization of input to state stability. And this is the characterization that is easier to, to work with in, in, in our setting. So essentially what, what we're after are conditions on the linear part and the nonlinearity which ensure that my uh, differential inclusion has uh, this estimate holding for its, its um, solutions. So I have a slight variant on the, the definition that I had before for reasons that hopefully will become clear in a moment. I want to define a notion of input to state stability with bias. And this is the property that, that again, and I'm in, this, I'm in the setting of the, the differential inclusion, and we say that it's input to state stable with bias, quantified by some parameter C. If every maximal solution, which we know by the existence theory, exists, if every maximal solution is global, and there exist beta 1 and beta 2 of the right class, such that this estimate holds, now this, the, the extra feature here is that I have the bias term plus C sitting in there. If C is equal to zero, this is essentially just the definition of input state stability that we had before. So that's what I s say here. If, if, if C is zero, then we just recover the input to state stability definition previously. So here's the first result. And I'm not going to give any, any, any proofs. The proofs are a bit, a bit technical, to say the, the least. Um, so here's a situation where I have a linear system ABC, and I assume that the first hy hypothesis, H1, holds. So that relates to the, the, the situation where, where the, the, the nonlinearity is sector bounded with, with linear upper and lower bounds on the, on the, on the sectors. <coughs> then the conclusion is that the system is input to state stable. Uh, and we have an explicit characterization of the functions beta 1 and beta 2 in, in, in this setting. Um, again, in, in terms of, of the classical literature on absolute stability, the novelty here not only in, lies in, in the fact that we, we have a, a rather general um, operator sitting in the feedback path, but here we have, we have um, uh, an estimate 
on the size of the state in terms of the size of the, of the input. Classical absolute stability would, would have zero input and this, this inequality would then just simply tell you that you have um, global asymptotic stability of um, the system with zero input. But here we, we're saying more. We have, we have a, 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 a bound on the state in terms of the size of the input. Second theorem relates to the situation where we have any one of the other three hypotheses holding. Then again the conclusion is the system is input to state stable but we no longer have a nice characterization of the functions beta 1 and beta 2 as we do in, in this case. Um, hypothesis H1 imposes a lot more structure on the system which enables us to get um, more specific results. 2, 3 and 4 are um, more general but of course we, we, have, we pay a price. Um, we don't get with explicit characterizations of beta 1 and beta 2 but nevertheless we know that uh, suitable functions exist and the system is input to state stable. So I'm not going to mention anything about uh, the way that this is proved other than to say that it uses an exponential weighting technique um, which, is, which differs from the, from the standard approach to, to tackling absolute stability uh, problems in the classical literature which is typically, typically done using Lyapunov techniques combined with the positive real lemma. We don't, we don't make any recourse to the positive real lemma and don't adopt a Lyapunov uh, approach but we use an exponential weighting approach which exploits the, 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 um, uh, the stability, the exponential stability of the, of the linear system. Uh, in, and in, in the setting of the, of the classical theory, uh, in a sense, this, the, the, the way we prove theorem A actually gives a, a, an alternative and possibly more elementary approach to proving classical results uh, as well. Proof of theorem B, in contrast to that of theorem A, we do use a Lyapunov argument. Uh, and that's where we make contact with the notion of, of uh, input to state uh, Lyapunov functions. So let me just briefly say what, what the essence of the, the proof of um, theorem B is. Again, that's the situation where H1, 2, or 3 holds and we have the existence of a, uh, an ISS Lyapunov function. Now this is, this is a generalization of the, the notion of an ISS Lyapunov function that I mentioned at the, at the beginning because of the presence of the, of the set-valued map phi here. But this is a natural generalization of the, of the earlier definition of an ISS Lyapunov function. And the, to, to establish the existence of such a V is the essence of proving the, the, second, the second result. Just to remind you again about, about the, 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 the nature of the, the sector bounds and how they relate to the four different hypotheses, if you can bear these pictures in mind. Right. So let me go back there for a moment. The, the first thing to note is that in each case, H1, 2, 3, and 4, the, the set-valued map is required to be such that its graph lies in the appropriate sector as illustrated here. In particular, they're all pinched at zero. So in each case, 
the value of the map phi at zero must be the singleton zero. That is restrictive. So this is where the notion of ISS with bias comes into play. So what we're interested in is to look at the situation where we don't have the set-valued map having its graph in the sectors as shown before, each pinched to zero at zero, but make the assumption that they, they satisfy a so-called generalized sector condition um, in, the, in this sense, that there is a map phi tilde that does satisfy the sector conditions of the previous theorems. The actual map phi that we want to deal with does not, but it has the property that the, the actual map phi is contained in this map phi tilde sufficiently far away from the origin. So let me again show, let me go back to this example again. This is the, the backlash or play operator that we had before. This is how it behaves. This is how we embedded it in a set-valued map previously. This fails to satisfy all four hypotheses because it's not pinched to zero at zero. But I can come up with this map, phi tilde, which is pinched to zero at zero, so this is a map that does satisfy um, the appropriate hypothesis. And these two things agree outside some region about, about the origin. So in terms, of, in terms of, of the idea behind what we can prove, so here is our actual system. We have a linear system in the forward path, and I have a nonlinear set-valued set map in the, in the feedback path, but this is a function that doesn't satisfy the pinching to zero at zero. So what do we do? Well, I replace it with a map that does satisfy the hypothesis, as sort of adding and subtracting this phi tilde, adding it in here and subtracting it away up here, and outside a region about zero, this difference is actually zero. So this term sitting up here is a bounded term. Here I have an input D, which is a bounded term. So in a, in a sense, I just re regard this bounded term as being a component of this bounded input to get this structure, where I now have phi tilde, which satisfies our hypothesis, and I still have a bounded input um, D tilde. So we can apply our um, input to state stability result to this system, which will give us input to state stability with estimates in terms of the, um, the, the size of D tilde. D tilde contains the actual input D and this term. And that's where the bias term comes in. This, this, of course, we can set D equal to zero, but this term would be non-zero. But we have, we have an estimate on the size of the, of the solution in terms of the size of the input, and I can estimate the size of the input through the difference of these two things, these two things here. So that's the, no the notion of, of um, uh, input to state st stability with bias. So this is the result that we typically have. This is a corollary to the first 
theorem. Um, so our actual nonlinearity phi fails to satisfy the hypothesis. We assume the existence of a phi tilde that does satisfy the hypothesis uh, and that phi and phi tilde agree outside a compact set K. Then we can apply the result of theorem A with this map phi tilde replacing phi to conclude this ISS inequality where this is a measure of the size of the actual input and this here is a bias term which is determined by the, the mismatch between the function phi which we actually have and the function phi tilde which we assume exists. So this bias term here is given explicitly in, in, in terms of this formula here. So even though we have a feedback structure which if you interpret it in the context of, a, of the classical absolute stability theory the classical theory is, is inapplicable because the sector conditions fail to hold but nevertheless because we have ISS estimates we, can, we, can, we don't get asymptotic stability but we get um, a bound on the solution explicitly in terms of the input data and the, and the, um, the map phi. The same thing holds true as a corollary to theorem B. Uh, again, if, if phi fails to satisfy our hypothesis, this one does. If I assume that, that H1, H, H2, 3 or 4 hold in the context of this artificial, this artifact if you like, um, then we can apply the input to state stability uh, theorem to conclude uh, again that we have input to state stability with bias E where the constant E is given again uh, similar to the to the previous previous um, corollary. So let me now go back to, to, to hysteretic feedback systems and show how uh, we can apply these results in a more specific context. So let's look again at this situation where now think of F as being causal operator. Well, I won't dwell on well-posedness of the feedback interconnection, but, but uh, well, let me leave that. Okay, so what sort of, what sort of um, operators do I want to consider here? Well, I want to consider hysteresis operators. Um, and I just again for the purposes of this talk I'm just going to talk a little bit about Prysac hysteresis um, and again the basic building block of Prysac, of Prysac hysteresis operator is, is backlash so here again is the backlash operator now again I'm not going to go through the details here but it's essentially you can, you can construct a Prysac operator by taking crudely speaking, appropriate combinations of different backlash operators. That's, a, that's re really all that's all this going on here. This, this backlash operator sits up here. Um, again, well, think of it as, 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 being, as being additions of uh, backlash operators with different parameters. So this is a so-called Prysac operator. Um, 
the main point that I want to make here is under the, under reasonable assumptions on on the on the the measures and weights that sit in here. Um, the Prizac operator is in fact Lipschitz continuous, uh, and you can you can make sense of the of the feedback uh, loop with one of these objects in the in the feedback path. Um, specialization of Prizac is the so-called Prandtl operator uh, by making appropriate choices of weights. Um, but again. Let me just show for, for illustration the sort of things that you can, you can, you can capture um, in these models. I mean, the, 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 these models will, will, will capture typical hysteresis behavior where you have nested, nested hysteresis loops and, and various, other, various other features. It can, it, can, it can capture fairly general hysteresis phenomena, but yet has nice properties so that you can make sense of the... Of the um, the feedback interconnection. Now, the other thing that these Prizac operators have is that they satisfy a generalized sector bound. So again, let me just explain what what I, I what I mean by this, which is which will tie in with with what we we discussed a few moments ago. Here's the the the, the, the typical picture from uh, absolute stability. We have. Um, a sector bounded nonlinearity, a nonlinearity that sits in, in a nice sector. Here's a static nonlinearity that doesn't satisfy a sector condition but satisfies what I refer to as a generalized sector condition in the sense that outside some compact neighborhood of zero, the graph of the nonlinearity sits in the sector. But near zero, it doesn't. Classical absolute stability theory will apply in this context, but the classical theory breaks down in this context. But because of our notions of input to state stability with bias, we can handle, handle such situations. Now the Prizac operator satisfies a generalized sector bound. Um, again, the details don't, don't um, need to worry us too much. Uh, what do we need to know here? That there are three parameters, A, B, and C, um, which relate to this picture here. Under fairly weak assumptions on the nature of the Prizac hysteresis, the characteristic of the hysteresis is contained in an envelope of this shape, which is specified by three parameters, the, the intercepts with the, with the y-axis, uh, the slope here, A, and the slope B up there. So under fairly weak assumptions on the Prizac hysteresis, its characteristics sits in a region like that. So if I, if I regard this as being the graph of a set-valued map, so again, it's just simply the map. If you feed it zero, it returns the interval minus c, c. Feed it any other value, it just returns the, the corresponding interval sitting above that value. <coughs> and this is just a statement to say that the, the, the Prizac um, hysteresis characteristic can be embedded in a set-valued map whose graph looks like this. Now, 
it satisfies so the Prizek operator we say will satisfy a generalized sector condition in the sense that this map here and if I take the map phi tilde which is just the upper slope here has got gradient epsilon greater than this one the lower slope has gradient epsilon less than this one and clearly the the tails of this graph are contained in here but there's a mismatch um, around around the origin so the Prizak operator doesn't satisfy um, a sector condition but it satisfies a generalized sector condition in the sense that it can be embedded in one of these where the tails have the right behavior now if you remember the 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 um, the theorem on input to state stability with bias had the bias term uh, e which in this particular instance we can compute explicitly here was the the, the 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 general expression for the bias term e and in this simple situation it turns out to be precisely the parameter c so if I look at a feedback interconnection again but now with the hysteresis operator in the in the feedback path um, where this is, is is such that it satisfies that it's it sits in the in the the graph specified by the three parameters a b and c and I have some positive real conditions on the linear part which in this case take this form again I won't dwell on so this 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 is these are assumptions on the nature of the um, of the nonlinearity and also involve the parameters a um, b and well an epsilon uh, an arbitrarily small epsilon and a positive delta so this 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 again is is um, assumptions relating the linear bit with bounds on the nonlinearity and if we apply corollary a then it turns out that the system is input to state stable with bias c so we have an explicit um, bound in terms of the the the, the bounding information that we have on the nonlinearity which bounds asymptotically the um, the solution right this the, the the solution is bounded in such a way that that the the contribution of the um, of the initial state um, goes to zero and we're left with a bound which is just a multiple of the parameter C so that's as much as I want to say about about uh, um, systems with with hysteresis in the feedback path there's one other class of systems that we that we can embed in our in our um, differential inclusions formulation and that's the situation where you have quantized feedback so this didn't appear in the title of the talk and I just put it on at the ending if I had time to say a few words about this but let me do that um, let's again look at this the situation where you have a linear system ABC transfer function G now let's look at the situation where you have you have the sort of classical idea you have uh, a static nonlinearity in the feedback path a nonlinearity F of the of the type considered in the classical literature and I assume that it's sector bounded in this sense now this corresponds to 
the third of our pictures. We have, um, when, you, when you divide through by y on each side of this inequality here, you, you have f is bounded linearly from, from above for positive y, but it can have a nonlinear bound from below. So that was the, the, the third of the three, the three sector pictures that we had um, before. Oh, in fact, I have it here. So it's this situation. You have a, a nonlinear non bound sitting down here, a linear bound sitting above, and the static nonlinearity is squeezed between the two. <coughs> if we make this assumption that kappa plus g is positive real, where kappa is some number between 0 and 1 over b, b being the sector data that we have sitting up here, then those two assumptions ensure that hypothesis H3 holds. And so by our second theorem, I know that this system, where now we just have a static nonlinearity, this system is input to state stable. Now that, that doesn't tell us any, anything, uh, actually that's, I tell a lie. Um, in terms of asymptotic stability, that doesn't tell us any, any more than the classical theory would have told us. We do have extra information because we have, in fact, input to state stability, which implies asymptotic stability, but has, it, it has, has more content. Now I want to look at the situation where we don't have... Um, we have output quantization. So, so the output which is just Cx, before it's fed to the nonlinearity, goes through some sort of quantization process. So this here is a, a quantizer parameterized by gamma, and I think the picture will probably tell you what. So, so, so the output is only allowed to have quantized um, values. Um, so this Q sub gamma is this discontinuous function sits in there and of course we're immediately in trouble because that means that we now have a differential equation with a discontinuous right hand side um, so we don't even know how to interpret or indeed if solutions exist in the classical sense so as soon as you quantize the output you put a quantizer between the output and the, the nonlinearity in the feedback path um, we have uh, problems. So what do we do? Well, we simply inter interpret, we interpret this in a set-valued sense by filling the gaps. So I'm, I embed the quantizer in this set-valued map. So away from the, the points of discontinuity of the quantizer, this is a, a, a singleton-valued, but at the points of discontinuity of the quantizer, we just allow it to take the any value. Well, it, the, 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 the map just returns the interval. So when we do that, we get exactly the sort of structure that um, our theorem applies to. Now in this setting, okay, so this, 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 this is the structure that we looked at before. Um, in, in general, D is a set-valued thing, but in this case, it's just singleton. 
and think of d as just being the function d, the input function. Um, and phi is just the appropriate thing that you get when you compose the, the embedded quantizer with the nonlinearity in the feedback path. So again, I've ghosted some of these details because they're, they, they are not essential. Um, the point being is that phi sub gamma, the set valued uh, nonlinearity that we get, satisfies a generalized sector bound. You have to work a little bit to establish this, but it's not difficult. So in other words, I can find a map curly or tilde phi such that the difference between phi sub gamma and curly phi is zero outside some compact interval and it's bounded uh, inside that interval. So that's basically what we're saying here. There's, a, there's a, a, an interval. The point to note here is that this in interval is, is, is uh, characterized by some constant m, but also a multiple of gamma. I should have said what, what gamma was. Let me go back to the... Gamma is this parameter that appears here. So this, the gamma just quantifies the... the, the um, um, the fineness of the quantization. As, as gamma goes to zero, we just recover the unquantized situation. So gamma is, 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 a, is a parameter that quantifies the fineness of the quantization. And that parameter gamma appears here. So outside this, outside this interval, phi sub gamma is contained in this new map phi tilde, and inside the interval, the difference is under control. So now we're in a position to invoke corollary B, the corollary to our second theorem on input-to-state stability, to conclude the existence of beta 1 and beta 2. The crucial point here to note is that these functions beta 1 and beta 2 do not depend on the quantization parameter gamma such that we have this ISS estimate holding. So we have ISS with bias. Here's the bias term, E sub gamma, defined in this way. Uh, the gamma enters in here. And the point to note is that E sub gamma goes to zero with gamma. And in fact, we can, we can, we can estimate how fast it goes if E is, is locally Lipschitz. But the point is that as, as the, the quantization parameter goes to zero, the bias in my ISS estimate goes to zero. Which says that we have some sort of robustness property because if you remember in the unquantized case, we had input to state stability of my feedback system. If you put a quantizer in the feedback path, so you, you, you quantize your output, feed it into the nonlinearity, um, things could go disastrously wrong. But this result here says that that's not the case because if I let gamma go to zero, I recover the ISS property. For, for, for non-zero gamma, I have ISS with bias, but the bias term goes to zero with gamma. So we have robustness with respect to quantization of the output um, of our 
of our um, feedback system with a static nonlinearity in the feedback path. And right on time, I think that's probably as much as I say today. Thank you. Any questions? short form of the question is, do you need the epsilon? The longer form is, does it really matter that you, do you have to have the compact set when you're taking the soup? Would it be enough to say soup over Y anywhere, and the complete interval, the infinite interval? As long as that soup exists, can you still get the result, or does it have to be the soup over Y in a compact set? Um. Good question, but it would have to. It, it depends on the nature of the of the, the nonlinearity. Right. If if you have if you had sort of saturating nonlinearities, yeah. then you probably wouldn't need you wouldn't need to consider compact sets. But but the, the, the when you're in the situation where things can can grow in an unbounded fashion, then I think I think you 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 really you really do need to consider compact sets. But saturating things would 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 be okay. And ah. Having said that, um, no, there are circumstances under which you can handle saturating nonlinearities, where you have um, the lower bound in the in the in the sector has got has got a, a, a negative slope. Okay. Right. Then then you then you can. But in all in all other cases, um, the nonlinearities will grow in an unbounded in unbounded fashion. So you need you need the compact set in those situations. I think I have a question. You, I think it was H3 or something. So, and just take a regular nonlinearity. Non so, you had this region, and then this one kind of went, it was like piecewise. Uh, no, that, that was just my, my, uh, my latexing skills. <laughs> um, no, it, it, it's, well, I mean, yeah, I, I, that's just the way I, I, I drew it. This is your fee, right? Or something? Yeah. But it doesn't have to. Be, it doesn't have to be piecewise linear. Right. Okay. That's, ju well, that's just because, as I say, my latexing skills are. Stability conditions then on the G. Yeah. What were they? Uh, or is that hard to hard to find? Let me, let me see. <coughs> Sorry about this. Oh, I should apologize. Oh, I know. So it's H three there, right? Uh, that would be the one that corresponds to that, yeah. And then the condition on the G is is here, exactly. which involves the, the B, B is related to the to the right, upper bound. The delta? delta is just some some number between zero and one, but not equal to one. Okay, but so the condition on G just involves the B and the delta. Yeah. Okay. How does the fee come into that? It doesn't. 
No. So that fee can be any continuous, lower bound? Yeah. Okay, that's interesting. Yeah, but there's effectively a one in there, right? Because it's fee of Y sign, there's no other constant. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I mean, the, the, oh. it's not completely arbitrary. It's got, it's got to be. It's a k infinity thing, yeah. and it sits. Yeah, it sits in here. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I have another question. You said that if you take the classical result, we have the sector band done in the early, and you want to prove stability of the Laurier system. So classically, they use diapole functions, yeah. right? So you said you have some other technique yeah. improving that? Yeah. And so you don't need a lay apple No. Well, I mean, I mean, this is it's, it's it's implicit yeah, in the in, in the exponential stability that you have, but you don't need you don't need you don't make explicit recourse to to Lapinov type arguments. Okay. It's all done in terms of terms of uh, estimates involving exponentials and the and the leeway that you have through the stability of the of the. Um, Roughly speaking, you take you take your actual signals, but you can you can you can exponentially weight them because you have a little bit of flexibility uh, okay. through the stability of the linear system, and uh, and that's the the essential idea. Okay. That's interesting. Any other questions, comments? Okay. Thanks, Joe. Yeah. Thank you.